You don't have to be a machine learning engineer to help make the future a smarter place. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Belchunas. Eric, I find you yet again on the road. Where is it this time? Uh, I'm in uh, the D terminal of the Miami airport, uh, waiting for my flight back from the big ETF conference called Exchange. Um, and I am, uh, I'm weary. I'm tired. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, had, I, I had fun and I met a lot of people and reconnected with a bunch of people. Um, but tip, as usual, I'm, I'm exhausted on the way home. So you went to Miami to talk about ETFs instead of Bitcoin. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. There was a Bitcoin conference uh, the week before. So there were some people who were at both. The worlds are merging a little bit. But yeah, it was the ETF conference. So you're in Miami. You did this ETF conference. And this is going to be another special episode of Trillions. What'd you get up to? Yeah, so uh, they had a special room in the conference where they um, had six different podcasts do a live episode. Um, in, uh, other ones that were in the mix were Animal Spirits, um, The Med Faber Show, and Flirting with Models. So, you know, good company. These are popular podcasts with smart people. So I was happy to be in the mix, Trillions. You weren't there, obviously. So Katie Greifeld sort of filled in and, you know, played your part. Uh, she was great, as usual. Uh, it was great hanging out with her at the conference as well. And then we got two guests. We got Jeremy Schwartz from Wisdom Tree and Perth Toll from uh, Life and Liberty Indexes, who is famously from the Freedom ETF, which is doing very well. And Jeremy has China in their funds. And Jeremy's Wisdom Tree ETFs also never got rid of Russia. And so I thought, let's have a little friendly debate about whether you should own China, Russia, and some of these other author authoritarian countries. Perth, obviously, we know where she stands. They're not in her fund. And that's what we did. We had a kind of friendly debate. And there was a point where they both started talking back and forth for maybe a good, like, I don't know, six minutes, uh, which is what we wanted. Um, but uh, we brought up some other stuff, too. But mostly that was the discussion. This time on Trillions, the big emerging markets debate. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Eric Balchunas. I'm Katie Kreifeld. Filling in for Joel Weber, who couldn't be with us. Uh, he's stuck in New York City where the weather's not as good. Um, but we miss him, and uh, we will. Uh, I think Joel and I might actually have done an intro before you're hearing me here. So, Katie, thank you for filling in. 
Absolutely. I was honored <laughs> when you asked. Let me just say that. So thrilled to be here. You're a regular on the show anyway. So yeah, you know, but to put on my Joel Weber hat is pretty huge. Um, well, how do you like the conference so far? What it's have you learned? Nuts. I've actually I have shaken so many hands over the past I don't know six hours. Uh, in terms of what I've learned, uh, I'm going to get back to you on that. <laughs> well, you've moderated like two panels. Nothing, nothing of interest. <laughs> I'm worried about inflation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear Gunlock's presentation? I'm worried about everything after hearing I didn't him. I realize. Um, so I spoke with Michael Sonnenschein of Grayscale. Uh, I think our panel ended at 9:40, or maybe it ended at 10. I didn't realize that Gunlock immediately followed us, like immediately, like brushed past him. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. When this conference was in Hollywood two and a half years ago, backstage we ran into Derek Jeter and took one of the most <laughs> famous photos within our little ETF community of Todd Rosenbluth. Pit looks like he was pitching something to Derek Jeter, who was... <laughs> you got to see the photo. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, sometimes you meet some people backstage. I actually met Sam Hinkie backstage. Do you know who that is? Uh, I should, and I don't. Anybody know who Sam Hinkie is? Yeah. You ever heard the phrase, trust the process? I certainly have. It's all coming together. <laughs> he put the Sixers together and created that a concept of just sort of waiting, picking high draft picks. Anyway, it was great to meet him. Great to be here. Let's get on with the guests that we have. Um, so, look, I was thinking about who to get on this, this program uh, for this episode because it's live. There's, I don't know, about 40 people in the audience, which we'll take questions from uh, after we get some questions uh, to the, our panel uh, guests, not panelists. And I, I thought that we need people who are interesting, argumentative, and good on stage. <laughs> and that does narrow the list down a little bit, because you could have somebody who isn't any of those things and on a podcast. But when you're on stage, you kind of have to bring some firepower. So I have the <laughs> two very good, perfect people for this. Uh, Perth Toll of Life and Liberty Indexes. Is that the official name of yes. your company? Okay, I got <laughs> it. All right. I, I, I always just say Perth Toll is a freedom. FRDM is the ETF that... Uh, basically, she runs. And Jeremy Schwartz of Wisdom Tree. Welcome, guys. Very argumentative. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know what's expected of us. <laughs> so, Katie, um, we haven't even prepped for this. No. So you just jump in when you feel the <laughs> urge. I'll start with a question. I'm going to start with a, just a broad question. I think this year really reminded us of why they're called the emerging markets, right? They seem pretty mellow for a while, and they just went crazy. Let me ask both of you guys this. Why even invest in the emerging markets at all? I mean, you guys have different takes on them, but wh why even allocate to EM? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think certainly the inflation is your main narrative, Katie, to your point that that's the big concern. And so you see growth stocks selling off everywhere. That's particularly true in EM. Uh, and now China growth in particular is where a lot of the, the hits came. Uh, but I think people view EM for the growth. Like So one of the reasons why EM should be favored is it comes back to valuations and fundamental growth. And so S&P at 20 times earnings is the more expensive market. Uh, broad emerging markets are cheaper. You know, call it small 12 times earnings maybe for a broad EM index. And they've got populations that are growing faster, theoretically earnings and sales that are growing faster. It's that combination of valuations and growth that's interesting. Uh, and you could see different ways of looking at EM have very different performances here, so we could get into all that. But um, value is working very, very well in EM versus growth is what I would say. Even like when it came in with heavy Russia, it's working very, very well. Uh, and so we could, we could get into all those things. 
Yeah, I would add there that in emerging markets right now, especially um, in a crisis situation, you want to look at what are the safe havens, right, in this type of market. And, um, you know, in the emerging markets, we're looking for markets that are coming from a very low, low base that have a high growth potential. And, you know, we specifically want countries that have the, you know, uh, stronger institutions, rule of law, individual investor protections, and those, I think, are going to be the safe havens in EM going forward. And actually, I, in one of the panels I did this morning, we were talking with uh, Michael Aroni of Spider, and he brought up small cap EM as a place that he really likes right now. Yeah. And I don't often think about small cap EM, <laughs> I have to say that. But I mean, so an obvious question to follow up with to you, Jeremy, is EM. We talk about it as a block, uh, as basically this one singular trade, but Within EM, what regions are you bullish on right now, uh, and where are you potentially avoiding? Well, so DGS is a small cap EM ETF. Ours, 15-year history. It has a dividend orientation to it, so it's very value-based. So talk about value around the world. The PE on this basket is below nine times earnings, right? So this is single-digit multiples. It's got average dividends of 5%. Broad EM is down nine this year, or, yeah, around 9%. It's, it's up. So it's sort of, that's my point on value is working when growth is not. So that, that is a, a great example. It doesn't all have to be China tech. I mean, mm -hmm. China tech is its own story that we could get into. But D, the small cap EM, it's a $2 billion fund. It's one of our top inflows this year. You're seeing a lot of people embrace that. Uh, and I think it's one of the few places where a non-cap weighted ETF is the largest ETF in the world, actually, I think. I don't think there's a bigger non-cap weighted ETF than DGS. So I think that's an interesting one also. Yeah, and um, let's since you um, brought up China, I think let's just go right there. I think that's one of the most interesting things to talk about. We'll get to Russia too, but um, Perth, um, you know, I think you really showed people with your fund, um, you know, why you know governments are different in the emerging markets, and there's definitely been a mental shift. I feel um, obviously your fund is beating the EEM by a lot because of some of this. Um, but there's also, when you, you ETFs catch fire, they also need a narrative and psychological shift. And I feel like it's happening. Um, I'll let Jeremy counter, but explain why you don't want China in your portfolio. Yeah, so we think on the country level, that governance factor, which we measure using personal and economic freedom variables that are from third-party think tanks, um, is the basis for all other kind of um, other kind of factors that you can put onto emerging markets or any other strategy. So in developed markets, you know these these freedom metrics are all pretty high. Uh, most developed markets are pretty free. The governance is pretty strong, um, and you don't really need to, to worry about that. But in emerging markets, the the universe is so rife with autocracies. It is so there's so many you know countries like Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Egypt, um, UAE, so forth. So there are a lot of these autocracies, and when you market cap weight without regard to country-level governance, you are looking at 40% in autocracies in your broad emerging markets allocation. And that's just a lot of risk. And China, I think, is the biggest risk in that allocation. It's currently about 32% in your uh, broad emerging markets indices. But um, you know, at its height, it was about 41% in uh, August of 2020. That's come down since then because of market movement. So um, going forward, you know, China has in its governance and policies, reversed all of the policies that have made them prosperous. And they are going full speed ahead on that reversal. So um, we think that's going to be a huge drag on emerging markets going forward. 
It's interesting. I mean, I, so it, it comes back to these big decisions and benchmarks. So MSCI, to your point, is now 30% China, and which is, so if you're going to go to zero China, and listen, there's now a whole category of EMX China, right? So you're seeing flows go to beta solutions. We have a filing for an EMX China without state-owned companies, which is something Perth and I agree on. So we'll be agreeable on the ex-state-owned factor as a concept. Um, but the China being 30% to... It, it, I think it, it is a big leap to go all the way to zero. Um, the, the, I mean, there's certainly a lot of talk about being uninvestable, right? So for a while, energy was uninvestable as a sector. When oil went negative, you're hearing, or, you know, it's, it's uninvestable. And that's exactly when you wanted to be investing. I feel like some of that narrative is happening around China now that everybody's saying it's, it's quote unquote uninvestable, yet the companies are growing like four times, if you look at some of the China tech companies, they're growing four times the S&P at multiples that are less than the S&P. So it's, it, it becomes, that becomes the inherent thing is, is they, are they actually trying to make these companies completely unprofitable? They're, they are putting their hands on these companies. There's no question about it. Um, but often when you hear it's completely uninvestable, that's when you, time to go. Okay. So you're looking at this value play, right? It's a, well, the growth characteristics combined with their valuations make it an interesting combination. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to counter that. If you look at the freer markets, you can do value plays in the freer markets where you have investor protections, where you have rule of law. But in a market like China, if you look at the MCHI index, that's the MSCI China onshore and offshore, very complete picture of China investing. Um, it, since inception in 1992, the cumulative return is now approaching 0%. So that's a time of extreme growth in China from 1992 to now. That was a time when it really opened up from the policies, the abysmal policies under Mao, where tens of millions of people died in famine. Um, I've seen someone that is at this conference, another firm, use the, the term great leap forward for marketing purposes. The great leap forward killed tens of millions of people. So no, please don't use that for marketing, first of all. And second of all, um, those policies were reversed to, you know, not so bad policies. And that is what caused this great growth in China the last 30 and 40 years. That was an increase in economic freedom. And now they are reversing all those policies. If you got 0% during a period of extreme growth, good luck going forward. So, so back in the 90s, like 90% of it was all state-owned companies. Now you could say all of China, like there's definitely a narrative that all of China is a state-owned company. So you could say, can, is there anything a private company, right? So there's people, we have that discussion with all the time. We have CXSC, our China X state-owned. And I get that view. Like I, I, I'm not going to completely argue with that view. Um, but th they are positioned as private companies and they do have, fat, like if you just look at the fundamentals of the companies, they are growing sales 20% a year for the last three years. Um, and so there becomes a, a, a valuation number where if they don't make these a zero, that they are a trap. You know, they could be good, good investments is, is the point I would come back with. I do agree with the non-state-owned um, aspect of what he's saying here. For freer markets, now in markets like China, yes, I do agree that most companies or all companies actually are state-owned. In fact, there's a, a, a law, an article that actually says all company um, information is considered state secret, and we can't share it, and that's what the audit problem that we're having now with the PCEAOB. Um, but in a, in a place like China, where they can come in overnight and just say, okay, you guys are nonprofits now. 
like they did with the education companies last year. There's no way an investor could recover from that. And it's very similar to what we see in Russia. In fact, with the, the freedom metrics that we use from the Cato Institute and the Fraser Institute, a, a combination of 79 variables encompassing personal and economic freedoms, China ranks worse than Russia. So this is great, I have to say. Like, I'm already really loving this, and I've asked one question, but... <laughs> Jeremy, listening to you describe sort of the valuation opportunity that you see here in Perth, hearing your counter that, okay, China isn't a free society, you don't know what's going to happen to, you know, your investments. Things can change overnight. I'm curious, do you at all consider, you know, FRDM an ESG fund from that standpoint? Yeah, so we have two types of investors, and some people are both, like myself, I'm both. Um, we have one that is wanting to align their values for freedom and human rights um, in emerging markets, and, and that's one type of investor. And we have one type of investor that believes that freer markets will outperform. And we have seen 20% outperformance over EEM since inception. Um, so, so that is another type of investor. Now, we don't always promise that kind of outperformance. It's just very stark right now because of what has happened in the market. Um, so don't expect that going forward, I would say. But the, I do expect for your countries to outperform because they have more sustainable growth, they recover faster from drawdowns, and they have better allocation of personal and economic capital. So they use their capital more efficiently and have less capital flight and capital destruction. Um, so yeah, I do consider it kind of an ESG product. We don't sell ourselves that way because we don't use company level ESG metrics. But what we found is that on the country level, um, when that G is in place, that the S and the E on both the country level and the security level tends to take care of itself. And we have an A rating from MSCI on ESG, actually, for our fund. Okay, let's move to Russia. Um, and by the way, I like, just go into debate mode. Uh, that's why I, I, I like that. I will just stand back like an old school presidential debate. You guys just go at it. Um, let's talk about Russia. I mean, obviously, everybody's seen what's happened. Um, Russia's gotten dropped from all the major indexes, and it's basically, the stocks are worth nothing, basically. Um, but, you know, Jeremy, talk about what happens if, I don't know, there's a resolution. Right. Um, how's all this come back to normal? So they've been dropped from the major indexes besides for wisdom trees. Um, so we have not. Oh, so you haven't dropped them. We have not dropped them from the indexes, um, partly because you're, I think the, the question some people ask is, are they, now in the funds, they're being marked at zero. Okay, you can't trade these stocks. So even the removal is symbolic. Okay, so it's, it's like a statement that we are, against Russia, and we're not, for, we're not pro-Russia at Wisdom Trade. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying these securities may not be valued at zero. And as CIO, I'm responsible for assuring we get the best value for our funds. And if they're not necessarily valued at zero, should you make that symbolic statement today? I mean, so this comes back to this ESG question. There's no question about it. Um, but so today they're still in the indexes. We'll have to, we don't have a rebalance, so there's nothing to do today. Our next rebalance is in November, which is where it'll get even more interesting um, if nothing's resolved or they're not worth more than zero. But so we haven't made that statement, but we, we also think about like, what are the other, are there other countries like a China that becomes an issue and, and, and at 30% of the market, it's a much, you'd say it's a bigger issue. Um, and what's interesting is our fund that had the most Russia coming into this year was DEM, high dividend value. The PEs in these baskets are six times earnings. It's up 2% on the year. When the market's down 10, the S&P's down 7. So despite being overweight Russia that's now being valued at zero, it's still up 2%, mm. um, which is just telling you how strong the value rotation has been. Um, but also, those things may not be worth zero. So that's one of the reasons why we haven't, the reason why we haven't kicked it out. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. 
What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Yeah, it's interesting. RSX stopped trading. Uh, VanEck, uh, the exchange, said you can't trade it. I have a feeling VanEck would, would actually prefer to trade. I know if I owned RSX, um, I would rather just hang in there and wait than have it just uh, liquidated at like a dollar or a zero. Um, Perth, obviously, this to pivot to you on this, um, you, know, we're, you know, Russia, has it ever been in your fund? We have never owned Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Turkey, or any of the other autocracies, and that's just a natural result of the freedom waiting. So our job is to find the best opportunities in emerging markets for our investors, and we believe those opportunities exist in the freer markets. If you have a, con- a company that is trying to do good, for example, in a freer market versus an unfree market, in a freer market, they're going to be rewarded and incentivized to provide the best value for their clients. That is how they compete, by making other people's lives better. In an unfree market, you're going to be rewarded by gaining the favor of the government. Your entire job is to curry favor with the government. And that is why a lot of Wall Street firms want to be there right now, because if they get the favor of the government, that's a monopoly. And the government's going to keep all your competitors out, even if they offer a better value. So we're here to provide investors with access to markets that have the conditions in place to support and encourage companies that are willing to put their own their stakeholders and their customers' interests first ahead of those of the state. And so we think those are the better opportunities. So we don't want to be in countries like Russia where the state's interests always come first. Can I uh, do a bad host thing and go back to China? Okay. Okay. So, Jeremy, I am curious. I mean, it feels like every few months we get worried about potential delisting of Chinese companies, of the ADRs. Uh, I would just love to know how you approach that at Wisdom Tree because – feels like, again, we're in one of those modes where that's a concern. For sure. Um, so I, I, I say a few things. One is we have a woman, Li Chen Ren, who we had hired away from Vanguard. And she, I think, produces, I think, some of the best commentary on what's happening in China. So I encourage everybody to follow Li Chen um, in, in that regard. She's been on top of a lot of what she sees as the narrative versus the reality on the ground. One of the things we did in our index is we did add more A shares. So we now have about a third A shares in our indexes. So we ha- we're migrating away from the U.S. listings. We, where we could, we had been early on going from Alibaba U.S. to Alibaba Hong Kong. So we've been moving towards 
all of those places. It's one of those questions, should you have the U.S. listings? Recently, there were some headlines saying that they were resolving the tensions and the Chinese stocks flew. Um, I'm not sure they're completely resolving the tensions. Um, and so I think there's more of that to play out. So we'll, we're going to continue to migrate towards the Hong Kong away from the U.S. There will be sensitive information they don't want in the U.S. listings. Um, so that, that's going to be one of those when issues. When did you start that process, that migration? It's, it's interesting. We were ahead of MSCI on having Alibaba, and then we were ahead in moving, I think, over. We're trying to stay a little bit ahead uh, on that. But we, at each rebalance, we've been taking those type of steps in the last few years. Okay. So, look, we just went over the two big problem children in EM, and I think you've heard you know, from both sides. I want to actually talk about some things you guys have in common. And so, Perth, let's, let's look at uh, FRDM. Here's an ETF that had $44 million a year ago. It just hit $200 million, so congratulations. Um, the first, uh, I think the first $100 million is the hardest. I'm sure you can attest to that. Um, and I guess I, I just want to talk about like, what you're experiencing as somebody who, because I, I think a lot of people have ideas for ETFs. So you're one person with one idea and one ETF. How are you getting the word out? And like, how much is it fish jumping in the boat now versus you having to hustle down every dollar? <laughs> So this morning, I learned that I have a reputation for pushing product hard. So I don't know if that's part of it. What else are you supposed to do? Yeah. So I am the only one um, pushing the product hard. But you know what? The whole time, I've never been alone. Um, here at this conference, I mean, this is the biggest ETF, one of the biggest ETF conferences, maybe to replace the other one. Um, you know, it's all, everybody that I've seen since I've been here has been a part of our success. And you guys, everybody else that has, you know, given us, their platform to, to tell the story. And I think that the ETF industry is just very welcoming to, to new stories like this. Um, and, and I'm very grateful for that. So um, I do kind of want to address what, to be a bad guest, what Jeremy <laughs> said on his last answer about China, though, if I could re, like revert back. You that can't let second. it go. I like it. I like it. Go ahead. Humanitative. That's what we are. That's why yeah. we're here. So, uh, so, so, you know, talking about the China narratives versus actual policy action, um, you know, right now we're seeing a, a shutdown in Shanghai. Uh, um, it's a very tragic situation, and there's more COVID cases than in, there were in Wuhan, and we're seeing zero deaths. Now, that's just not that believable to me. So if you don't even have correct data, I don't know how many PhDs, you, you, you know, you, you can use to justify um, any of the, the data that, that we use for investing or impact purposes coming out of China. I mean, they're saying that the stocks jumped the day that the government said that they would support or um, support the, the you know, listing rules in the U.S., but PRC, National Intelligence Law, Article 7, which was enacted in 2017, Guo Jia Xing is the Chinese name for that, I mean, that, that it says all of the company's information are state secrets. And so I just don't see how they could comply with Chinese law and also comply with American law when they are saying these, these things to, to try to boost up the stock market at a time when capital is fleeing China for this reason. <laughs> well, we agree that the listing standards just wasn't as rosy as what, uh, what, they, what the headlines were reading. We were telling people it don't go that far as what they're saying. Um, Li Chen is saying now that the Shanghai situation is actually getting better than what's being popularly reported. So she's, she's on the Shanghai is going to get unlocked down soon uh, in the next few days. Like, I don't know the exact timeline, but she's, she's saying that's when it's starting to turn the corner. Um, I'm going to be a good host and bring us out of the depths of 
the details of China, which are fascinating, and I th we see the images, and it's, it's wild. I th again, like I said, I think people's psyches have changed a little on this topic, for sure. Um, but I want to go back as, uh, to you guys as issuers, because there's a lot of issuers in the room here and at the conference, and, and I think at home people are sort of curious about what it's like to have a hit product. And Jeremy, um, I remember four or five, well, maybe, geez, I'm, time's flying, maybe six, seven years ago, you were like the bell of the ball here, because DXJ was like on fire. That's the Japan hedged ETF. It was like one of those perfect moments where it like fit the narrative, the returns were awesome, and it, it I think it was the biggest inflow ETF one year, beating IVV, all the vanguards. I mean, that's, that never happens, right? Obviously, HEDJ was another one. That's the Europe hedge. So this currency hedge fad was like the hula hoop for a while. I mean, everybody was in it. I remember being at a conference in Texas, and this guy's like, yeah, the boss likes the DXJ. Oh. And I was like, man, this thing is sweeping the country. Um, now, those two aren't even in your top 10 by assets now. It, obviously, it was this huge ride yeah. up and down. Talk about that experience and you know what, what you're trying to do to get things back on track with those former rock stars. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, today as a firm, we have about 80 billion globally. We're the most diversified we've ever been. We had you know, acquired a firm in Europe, which is very commodities heavy. So like today, our AUM is up on the year when how many asset managers um, with a large scale presence can say that when the markets are down 10%, bonds are down even more. So we're like, we're the most diversified we've ever been. So a lot of the core business has been like a 45 degree line, trend line. But then you have that blip, as you said, like the blip higher, the blip back down. They're now about $4 billion combined from their peaks of like $40 billion combined. So it's amazing to have witnessed the, the rocket ship and the, what we call the hangover. I mean, what's interesting is the, the yen today is back to the all-time low levels that when DXJ was at its peak. And people just haven't been caring, um, which, is, which is a very interesting you, dynamic. So on our team, we call that the second bite at the apple. And it, it just seems like it doesn't happen. If you look at funds from the 90s and the 80s and these trends, usually when the, when the trade comes back, people just, they just aren't in it, to, in, in it the second time. But you're right. You do have, what, four or five billion, and you had, yeah. you know, 50 million. If you just erase the, the up and down, it looks like a nice little growth. Right. Any more questions before we open up for, to the yeah, audience? Yeah, I have a question. Okay. Um, I do want to ask about FRDM. This is a question that I'm going to steal from Todd Rosenbluth, actually. I'm curious what countries are on the cusp of getting added to your ETF? Because, I mean, we've talked a lot about what isn't in there. Love to know what could make it into there. Yeah, so I'm going to start with what countries are in there currently. So the top four countries, which are always typically the top four, these don't change very much, is Taiwan, South Korea, Turkey, and Poland. And Chile and Poland, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, Chile has benefited from um, the commodities trade since the beginning of the Ukraine crisis, and um, Poland has been on the forefront of fighting for freedom, helping Ukraine um, in, that, in that sense, so we're very proud of that. Um, now, the countries on the cusp, there are several. India was in in 2020. It left in 2021, got dropped because of several things. They increased the repression of their Kashmir peoples. They had more media repression from the government, and they uh, blacked out Internet in places that had protests. So due to those human rights issues, their score dropped in 2020, and they uh, were dropped from the index. Now, they're very much on the cusp and could come in at any point. Brazil is on the cusp, currently in, could go out at any point. Um, Malaysia, Thailand, and Colombia are some other countries that are on the cusp. On the cusp, these countries, uh, it, it's interesting, the uh, EM, uh, and they, get, they graduate to the bigger indices. Uh, in your case, it's a whole different kind of graduation. Um, <laughs> 
This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right. Um, look, let's um, let's have some fun here. Everybody, just somebody, if you have a question, raise your hand. And there's a mic that you can use. But if you uh, if we can't get the mic, I'll just repeat the question. So somebody out there, help me and break the ice. Is Todd Rosenbluth in the room? Nature AC? Come on, somebody. <laughs> Come on. Come on. You can even ask them, like, their favorite movie. Uh... <laughs> Or maybe their favorite stock. Oh, here we go. Them. Thank you. All right, hold on. What percentage of the value trade in emerging markets is directed? Yes. Okay, so, so hold I, on. Let me repeat it because what percentage of the value trade in the emerging markets is directly related to commodities? So, so I mentioned two different funds. So DEM was high dividend EM. And to the point on how different markets are today, I mean, there was a point when in 2008, commodities, energy, and materials were like a third of MSCI's emerging markets, and today it's it's small double digits. In DEM, it's it's close to 40 percent between energy and materials, so it's 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 a high number. Um, so it's a big part of that. DGS, the small cap, which is a value part that was also positive on the year when EM is down 10, um, is not so commodity centric. It's more it it has some of the Taiwan that Perth was mentioning, Korea. It's got. India, it's sort of a broader than commodities, sort of industrials, local manufacturing, but it, it, so not as much in the commodity sectors. It's a little bit of both, but in DEM in particular, it's very high. Yes, sir. So, uh, I listened to Katie earlier. Uh, okay. <laughs> do you think it's one, a group all at once? And when do you think that will happen? Oh, I picked the wrong, I wore my, I should have worn my t-shirt today. Ah. Um, Jeremy. <laughs> We're talking about spot Bitcoin ETF. Yes. Yeah, so here's the question is who and when, well, I guess when will a spot Bitcoin ETF be approved and who will be the big winner? Uh, whoever's out first is basically an instant billionaire. They can just go retire. Um, I know you guys want to be first, but trying what's your hard. take on that? We're trying hard. Um, we've added some features to our filings that Gensler is looking for. Um, the question is, 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 is any filing going to be in his, in his mind with the exchanges? Is, do you get a regulatory 
exchange where it could be traded, I think, is one of the, the big questions. But we were adding the 40 Act features that he likes trying to use a, a bank custodian that's different than some of the other filings. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's an open question. Uh, we're, we're, we're not waiting on him. We've been working on an indexing business, a direct indexing business. You hear a lot about direct indexing in equities and bonds, and there's a number of platforms, uh, some here um, with former colleagues, uh, Eric, Dave Abner from Gemini in particular, uh, that are, can make it, make it access to these products through a direct SMA. Uh, and so we're working on indexes for that type of application. And, and uh, going beyond just the spot Bitcoin ETF. And, and you have um, products in Europe, right, where anything goes over there, you can launch. I mean, uh, were you the ones who undercut, um, I forget who it was, 21 shares maybe, on yeah. a Polkadot ETF? So we launched a few. Uh, so yeah, we were early or on ETP, Bitcoin, rather. Ether. We had Bitcoin, Ether, Baskets. So we have a 50-50. Yeah. We have an altcoins, large cap. We did Polkadot, Solana, and Cardano, uh, three of them. So yeah, you're doing They're a lot. They're so advanced over there, Katie. You probably have ETPs for tokens I haven't even heard about yet. So no, I they, have heard about Polkadot. I have to well, say. I think there's a fee war already on Polkadot it's ETPs beautiful. in the Euro in Europe, and we don't have a spot ETF. Hence my my shirt that I made Where specifically. Is, I'm surprised you aren't carrying it around with you. <laughs> It's dirty. <laughs> you should just get a tattoo. <laughs> I sweat a lot yesterday. It's hot here. Um, okay. Anyone else? Question? Uh, yeah, sure. In the back. Yeah, I'll be a bad audience member and take the conversation back to a previous topic. <laughs> er, er, Eric, I like it. You raised uh, currency hedging in developed markets, but I'm actually curious about how both of you think about emerging markets. And when you are bullish about an emerging market, is it more the currency? Is it the actual equities? Is it both? How are they interacting? What do you think about that? All right, so the question is, uh, currency hedging typically used in international developed like Japan and Europe. What about EM? Uh, do you guys like to apply currency hedging there, um, given the cost? So I've been big on saying in developed markets, it's a better than free option to hedge. And I say it's a better than free option because in general, you're paid to hedge. As a U.S. investor, particularly now as the Fed's raising rates and the Bank of Japan's negative, the ECB's negative, Swiss is very negative. And so you have this huge positive carry. And I wrote a piece on, on Monday talking about how the dollar is like the most negatively correlated asset to the S&P 500, more negatively correlated than bonds. So like why people like to bet on these currencies going up forever, which I call uncompensated risk. I don't understand that. So that goes back to that question. Um, in EM, though, it's not a better than free option. You have to pay the carry. And the carry is high on average in EM, very high. Um, like Brazil hiked to double-digit rates. So then you got to be breaking even. You got The currency has to go down by more than that 10% carry on average, which is a tougher proposition. So I'd say EM has been different. If you're going to do it, be very tactical, dynamic. Uh, on time, on terms of timing those things. We did launch a family of dynamic hedging type things to try to help with that, to manage the cost better, uh, and also to try to use factors in developed world to do that as well. Um, but uh, it's not the same in EM as in developed. I mean, EM currencies are up this year with the carry when the dollar is up. So it's another fascinating proposition. Yeah, we don't specifically hedge um, currencies in our product, but what we do have is a metric for sound money. So we're going to be in the markets that have more sound monetary policies, that have had less inflation historically. Um, and we actually have investors who have told me they're investing because the freer markets have less currency risk. And so that's one of the main risks in EM that we do address through that sound money metric. Good question. Uh, one or two more? I think you had one up here. No? Oh, you, I, I could I have sworn. I definitely saw some other hands. I did, I did. That, that, that must have been their question. Oh, yeah. 
Is that you, Jeremy? That's okay. Me. All right. Hi. Okay. Hello. I haven't, I haven't seen Hyde yet. I just saw you just now for the first time. Okay. Hey. Uh, I have a question for Perth. Um, how, is, how much interest has your product uh, been garnering from ESG allocators and, um, and, um, in, and ESG-seeking institutions? Because uh, it seems that like your product is the most, based on the most fundamental G of all. Yeah, the question is, uh, how much has Perth's product, FRDM, been creating interest from uh, institutions? Um, and that's a great question because I would also add on to that. Do, do you fear an institution liking your idea and then just doing it on their own or using someone else or having someone else make the product for them? Yeah, so we actually, most of the product right now, I would say the entire AUM is retail and retail advisors. Um, I would say of that, most of them are in it for the potential outperformance in emerging markets that are more free. Um, but we do have a lot more interest from institutions now that we're big enough to to get uh, institutional attention and, and money. And um, we have seen a lot of that. We were you know starting starting to get invited to respond to RFPs, which I'm very loath to do just because it's a massive massive process, and we're still pretty small. Um, but, you know, maybe as we grow, we'll do more of that. Um, we have had some institutions that have asked us for our proprietary methodologies and things like that. Um, and so, so, yeah, I think there is always the concern, hey, are you just trying to do this for yourself? Um, but I think for the most part, they've seen our kind of track record. We have that almost three year as of next month track record. Um, and as institutions adapt more to, I think, ETFs, they will be more open to it. We do also license our index to institutions, um, some that are ESG doing additional ESG overlays. So in, in, like uh, religious organizations, for example, will license the index and put their own overlays on top of our country weights. Um, so there is that option for them as well. Yes, uh, right, right over here. I want to take this up a level higher. So if you're talking to clients, I would love, Perth and Jeremy, for you guys to explain your kind of case at that most basic level. So if you've decided to pull out of questionable countries and go full on you know, freedom, how do you explain that decision to clients who might be worried about missing out on potential upsides? And if on the other hand, you make the decision to stay in China or Russia or those countries and you have clients who are concerned about that, how do you defend that decision or explain that position to clients? So kind of at the highest level, how do you justify those things outside of the nerds in this room? Yeah, so the question is, if you went with Perth and you didn't have China, Russia, and those countries started coming back, and you underperformed, how do you deal with clients saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm bummed we didn't, uh, we're underperforming now, and then on Jeremy's side, what about now, where you are underperforming because you have those countries, and uh, people might, you know, I guess, how do you uh, deal with the complainers? Jeremy's letting me go first on this because I have an unfair advantage right now. We are seeing only people that are coming to me saying, wow, I thank you for making me look so smart. Thank you, you know, my clients, the, the joy and relief of my clients when I tell them how we invested for them. Um, so I am seeing the opposite of that right now. But in the past, I have heard those um, kind of objections to, to this type of strategy. How can you have no China? It's the you know, second biggest market in the world. And, you know, it's freedom waiting, and that's, that's what we do. This is the, for people who believe in the benefits of freedom and want to capture that in their emerging markets allocations. You know, our returns are up, we're up 40% since inception. 
three years ago, um, EEM is up 20% in that same time period. So we don't have to defend the performance right now. There time may come a time, and I expect that, when we will have to defend that performance. And it still comes down to that kind of freedom waiting, that we, we just can't deviate from that. That is our, our strategy and our theme. And so Wisdom Tree, you know, we've been a factor investor. Our first funds launched in June of 2006, all very value dividend-based. And then you had this huge growth market. So, you know, it, it, it was, you were going into the, a headwind for a long time. I mean, it's finally, in a way, you got a, a changing dynamic today. So we started, where we launched high dividends and value in 07 for EM, um, we didn't have the growthy option. And as we started to think about how do you get a core with a growth code, that's when we started looking at state-owned companies. And we saw like an Alibaba and these other China tech companies were the predominance of what EM growth was. And so we had launched these core products with a growth tilt, being broad EM with the, the ex-state-owned tilt and when the China-specific one. And so a lot of it is the factor exposures you're trying to get. So, you know, e broad EM, that's core, more growth-oriented, you go ex-state-owned, value, you go for dividends. And you know, they have different cases. One is if you think China's being discounted today, that it's being this uninvestable narrative, which is very true. I mean, that's, that's the, what you hear all the time. You say, you know, do you think there's actual value there? And people are overly discounting that, and that becomes, turns into an opportunity. Or if you just think this inflation, going back to how Katie started, that inflation is a key issue, growth is going to be continued under pressure, that's where value dividends are really shining around the world. U.S., EM, broader national, uh, that factor has been the key factor, and I think that's true in EM as well. All right. Uh, Katie, Eric, how are you doing over there? Doing pretty good. Yeah? This is have fascinating. You, you've learned a lot, haven't you? I, this, I will say, I have learned <laughs> a lot. And it's great to, I mean, this has been such a great panel. I'm glad that you, I'm sorry, podcast. This is specifically not a panel, but it's great to get both perspectives on this topic. And we have a fun closing question that we ask all our guests. Um, and I will start with uh, Jeremy and then Perth. Uh, what is your favorite ETF ticker that is not your own? Favorite ticker, not my own. Um, do I have any favorites? <laughs> are you, are you the, you're that locked into Wisdom Tree. You don't even know what else exists. Laser nope. focused on Laser his lineup. Laser focused. I'll give Perth a shout here. I mean, I like freedom. It's a good concept. So I'll give her a shout. Okay, wow, Perth, thanks. you can't pick a wisdom tree ticker. It's just too, it's too much. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, is Moo still around? It is. Moo is the most popular answer, by the way. What about Meme? Meme is pretty good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'm just saying wow, Moo is, is like the impressed. Mona Lisa of the tickers. Lisa. They just, it's hard to beat that. Um, I also like verbs. Mm. So, um, hack. Moo is a yeah. verb. Hack, yeah. right? And there's also, is Romo? Romo, and by yeah. the way, Romo is in the crowd, not Tony, Tony but <laughs> <laughs> by the way, as an Eagles fan, when I saw that you launched that, it, it, I had to deal with that for a while, but uh, now he's a good announcer, so it's, it's okay, but anyway, um, all right, well, I want to thank you guys for coming on, I th want to thank you guys for attending, and uh, great job, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Bye.
You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.